in a world where everyone knows everything. <laughs> yeah, right. One dad stands below everyone and yells, I know nothing. Please welcome. Please welcome. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. All right, everybody. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. I'm so excited to have Andy Murphy with us today. Now, Andy Murphy founded the Secure Dad in 2016, realizing that every parent is a protector. And I think I'm speaking for all parents when we say that's the number one thing we want to do for our family is protect them. And he has an Amazon best-selling book, Home Security, the Secure Dad's Guide, which has helped thousands of people around the world. He also has a weekly podcast, the Secure Dad Podcast. And he's really here to talk through how we can do simple things to protect us in pretty much all facets of life. So Andy, so happy to have you. Glad you could join us. Thank you so much, Dana. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk to your audience. Like I was telling you before, I just love the concept of your podcast. I'm a dad who's constantly learning all the time. As a matter of fact, you know, I had been going a couple of years with the secure dad and I realized, you know, I don't know that much about online security. I need to up that for me and my family. So then I started to learn it. I started to talk to experts. I started reading books and I was like, okay, I see, I see how this is done. I see a common thread to this. There's, oh, there's a whole lot of analog stuff in digital security and uh, it's exciting. And I love sharing that sort of information with everybody else. Very cool. So let, let's, let's start from the beginning. How did the secure dad come apart come about? How did you, how did you get to this place where this was going to be your work that you wanted to do to help people uh, protect their families? Sure. I've always been uh, the security minded person. Like all my friends are just, you know, Oh yeah, he's just that guy, you know, that sort of thing. But um, I was in high school. And the day after um, the shooting in Columbine, I go back to school the next day, you know, thousands of miles away. And I'm sitting in my homeroom class and I realize, you know what, if something goes wrong in my school today, my resource officer is not going to get here in time to do anything to save me. My safety is my own responsibility. And that was a turning point in my life. It was at that point that I realized it's really on me to survive. It's really on me to make sure that I am put in a place where I can protect myself or I can protect uh, the people I care about. And I started at that point in time making uh, plans to, if something goes wrong in this room, how do I get out? It was really the, the fundamentals of situational awareness, which I'm not sure was an actual term back then. I think then I just thought it was paranoia, but it's actually a science and there's um, amazing people who teach it now. And so I just took that moment in my life and I said, okay, what am I going to do with this? Am I just going to sit here and be scared of everything that happens from now on? Or am I going to embrace this mindset and am I going to work it to my benefit so that I can make sure that I'm going to be safe? And then when I got married, I took, uh, I felt like I was, you know, the one who was responsible for safety between the two of us. And now that, you know, we have a child, it's, it's me, I'm taking care of me, my wife and my child when it comes to home security, protecting them in public and online. And so that's really where this whole thing started was realizing, you know, that um, my, my safety is my responsibility. And normally people have that sort of 
you know, life-changing moment after something really bad happens. For me, it was just, I just happened to understand the reality of the situation. Normally somebody has to be attacked or a family member has to be attacked or they witness something in order to really understand that polite society really isn't as polite as we all think it is. And so I was really happy to learn that lesson at a young age and put myself in a position where I could start the secure dad, because I realized there are lots of other parents out there who take protector parenting seriously. As a matter of fact, I call my audience, you know, protector parents, because we are the parents who step up and say, you know what, this is something we all need to be working on. And that really safety is the foundation of happiness. Because if you're not happy, you're not going to be happy if you don't feel safe. And uh, living in the United States like I do, there's a lot of everyday security that I take for granted. Like we have a stable government. We have a stable living situation. We have all of these things that are okay. But when those things are removed, it's really hard for people to be happy when they're worried about what's the next big thing that's going to happen. So the secure dad you know, started a long time ago when I was in high school and each and every week I'm finding new topics to bring up because I thought when I started this thing in 2016, man, I had like six months of content and that was it. And then here we are, you know, it'll be six years in September or it was six years in September. And um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I find new stuff every day to talk about with people and, and to, to help them through. So it is an ever-changing game. Yeah, you bring up the paranoia, and I think we all mm -hmm. have yeah. been around people that we may have described that way at one time. And now it's kind of like, there's probably some benefits to at least being, you know, situationally aware, like you mentioned. So, right. All right. So let's start in the home, because mm -hmm. obviously, as a family, you, you, get a home, you, you buy a home, you have an apartment, whatever it is, how do you make that place secure first and foremost? Sure. Uh, the, the biggest thing you got to do is change your attitude and change your mindset about how you're going to do things. You don't need to just sit and be a victim and waiting. That's what um, thieves and criminals are looking for. They're looking for what's called an easy target. So if you present yourself to be an easy target, then you're going to be so if you can take some simple steps to make sure that your home is safe and secure, um, burglars will know that. Criminals will take a look at your house and be like, you know what? This house over here looks like it might give me trouble. This house over here doesn't. I'm going down here. And like, <laughs> there's actually a, um, a doormat that uh, you can get on Amazon that says the neighbors have nicer things. And so it's uh, just this little subtle warning to communicate that, hey, this isn't your place. And believe it or not, as a lot of people think that, oh, criminals are just random, they're on drugs, they don't really know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. A lot of criminals are actually very smart people. If they just put their talents to use in a legal way, the world would be a lot better place. So one of the things that we can do is change our attitude to say, hey, this is my home. This is where I'm going to protect my family. Now, what do I need to do? And a lot of people will say, you know, and I'm glad you didn't phrase it this way. I go on podcasts and be like, hey, you know, what do you do when a burglar breaks in? And I'm like, well, you know, if a burglar's broken in, a lot of things have gone wrong beforehand. So let's back this up. And so if you don't want somebody to break in your front door, then how do you keep them off your porch? If you don't want them off your porch, how do you keep them out of your front yard? If you don't want them in your front yard, how do you keep them from 
choosing your house. And so that's where we start. We start out at the street. We don't start where somebody kicks in. And I don't blame people for thinking this way because like every alarm company commercial that you've ever seen on TV starts that way because that's how they, you know, demo their product is because their product doesn't work until somebody kicks in a door or breaks a window. So we all think that that's where home security starts and it's not. It's out at the street level. So one of the things that I tell people, the easiest upgrade that they can make to the security of their home is to buy a dawn to dusk light bulb. And these are the light bulbs that you turn on and there's a little sensor in them. And during the day, they'll turn off and at night, they will turn on. And the goal of this is to have your light on all night. So you don't have to worry about like remembering to turn the, the porch light on when you go to bed, because the more light that your home has out front, the more it communicates to a criminal, hey, this is going to be a harder house because criminals enjoy the darkness because they can move in and out through it. They can get up close to your house, peek in a window, that sort of thing. But if they don't even feel like they can cross the yard, then the chances of your home being chosen by a thief just plummet. Because if they don't feel like they can get close, they're not going to kick in that door. So a lot of people are just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Just a light bulb can do that. It can. And also, it speaks to the criminal to say, this is going to be a hard target. This person looks like they know what they're doing. Chances are they have more steps to keep themselves safe inside, and that's just not what I want. Because common criminals generally want an easy target. They can get in, get out really quick, not meet any sort of resistance, because they don't want to fight you. They don't want to hurt you. Some do, but we're talking about common criminals. And so... The, the more that you can communicate to them that your house is not going to be easy for them, the better off you're going to be. And you don't have to sit there and worry at night about, oh, what do I do when the door kicks in? And we can talk more about that in a second. That's when you, you enact your plan to get your family to safety, because that's the biggest problem that I've seen or the biggest issue that most people have is they're afraid of what am I going to do when somebody kicks in the door and I'm asleep at night. That sort of thing. And so I wrote a you know, book on home security. Uh, that was a scenario that I chose for the end when we brought everything, all the lessons together. But the reality is most burglaries and home invasions happen during the day when you're at work. And that's because nobody's home to resist the criminal. They want to get in, grab your jewelry, grab any sort of valuables that they can and you know, get out, that sort of thing. So really understanding, hey, I'm going to take my home security seriously. These are the real threats that I need to worry about. I'm going to start protecting my home out at the street level. We'll go a long way. So when you talk about lighting, do you prefer a continuous light or motion sensor? Is there any difference to that? What I do, what I prefer is continuous light. That's a great question, by the way. Uh, what I've discovered uh, in, because it was for a long time, it was get a motion sensor floodlight for the front of your house. And I think they're great, don't get me wrong. But a lot of the thought pattern used to be, oh, a criminal walks up, the light comes on. Does that mean I just tripped the motion sensor? Does that mean the homeowner is awake inside and they've turned on the light to see what's going on? I don't know, so I'm going to leave. I see a lot of footage posted online from ring cameras and blink cameras and all that of criminals walking up to like a car in the driveway to break the window. The floodlight comes on. They don't care anymore. That floodlight is actually helping them break into the car now because they know that it's a motion sensor. Mm -hmm. So even though it's a ring camera and you're getting the video on it, if you wear a COVID mask, that sort of thing really 
that that's that mindset has to shift. So when you have continuous light, that's going to keep them from stepping onto your yard in the well, it can keep them from stepping onto your yard in the first place, instead of just lighting the path for them when they decide to walk up. So again, it goes back to I feel that continuous lighting keeps them at that street level instead of the floodlight that doesn't do anything until they're closer to your home, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And would would the recommendation be the same with lighting, whether you're in a rural setting or in an in 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 a city? Yes. Um, unless your your town, your county, whatever has some sort of ordinance about lights, um, I would I would just light it up all the time at night. Um, you can still, if you want to use the motion sensor lights and that sort of thing, that's fine. But just know that that option isn't uh, bulletproof anymore. It's because that people tend to know that these are motion sensors now. Um, so the continuous lighting is good for in a rural area. It's also good for being in the city. And unless you really have, and, and be a responsible homeowner here when you do put lights out, don't shine one directly into your neighbor's house because they will right. not appreciate that. And right. that's when you're going to get a phone call from the HOA or maybe the police show up, that sort of thing. So be strategic with your lighting. Keep your lighting on your property. Keep it illuminating your area in your yard. And that way, people really aren't going to care what you do as long as you don't aggravate them and their good night's rest. Nice. So let's go up on Let's go another level now. Okay. For homes, what, what would be the next level of that security? So, okay. So we have, we, we've, we're out at the street. The next uh, level is the yard. If they're walking in, let's just say that you live in a suburban neighborhood. You've got, you know, a little bit of grass and the driveway and the garage. So when you are treating your home, don't underestimate the importance of landscaping. Um, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but you really do actually need to take care of your yard. You know, as a dad, of course, I want to take care of my yard, that sort of thing. That's sometimes not a priority for people. Keep your grass cut and make your home look like it's appreciated. That's the biggest thing. There are people who will tell you, don't overly landscape your yard, because if you do, it will look like you have disposable income. And if you have disposable income, then you've probably got higher value items inside the house or items that can be pawned easier. So it's a little bit of psychology to yard maintenance. So another thing to do is to make sure that if you have any bushes or shrubs in your yard, that they are cut low below the window line of your house so that people can't move up behind them and then look out. And also to cut them up from the ground so that you can see feet underneath it. So if you're parking in your driveway and you walk up and, hey, there's a pair of boots behind my rose bush here. That's unusual. I'm going to get back in my car and drive off and call the police. So if you can do those things there, you're going to be okay in keeping people from getting to that front porch. So you've gone from the yard, uh, gone from the street to the yard now and to keep people off the porch. We want to keep it lighted up just like we were keeping the other areas lighted up. So I, I am dumbfounded by this, but the number one way that burglars get into a home is through the front door. <laughs> they, they're either going to kick in the front door or there's still there's people out there who believe that we're all living in Mayberry and why should I have to lock my front door? That sort of thing. And they'll they'll come up. I have seen video after video after video of guys who creep up on houses they're about to break in and the first thing they do is they try the knob you know is they're not going to try to do anything else they're looking for that easiest solution to get in the house so they're going to try that knob to see if it's locked so as long as your door is locked and you've got a good deadbolt on it 
uh, and a good solid door that opens into your home, those are all things that are really going to help you out there. I also suggest that people get a storm door for their front. Uh, not only does it protect the door in the event of you know bad weather, but that's one more barrier that a burglar has to break to get into your front door, and it's going to make a lot of noise. Try to get one that has a lock on it. Also, uh, this one's important too with a storm door. If somebody comes to your house and they are a salesman, door-to-door -door salesman, that sort of thing, anybody who tries to open that storm door, I want you to be wary of that person because people who are HVAC technicians, uh, exterminators, those types of people who come to your home to do service, they all know, they have the same thing. They go up, they ring the doorbell and they step back. They're gonna step back two to three feet because they don't want it to look like they're crowding the door. So anybody who's gonna come up to your front door, ring that doorbell and they pull on that storm door or they try the handle on your front door, that's somebody that you gotta be suspicious of. I wouldn't open the door for that person unless you gather a whole lot more information about what's going on, especially if you're not expecting somebody. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So you talked about cameras and there's so many different options out there now, doorbell cameras, <laughs> uh, you know, motion detector cameras that turn on night ones that can detect motion in, at night and record video at night. What, what, what is your opinion and, and what do you advise your clients regarding cameras? Sure. I, I'm a strong supporter of having video surveillance for your home. Uh, I tell people to make sure that you have cameras outside of your home that are covering every entryway in. So that's your front door, your back door, your garage door, and any other ways that people can access your home easily from the outside. And you put cameras there. They can be overt or covert, meaning that people can see them from the street. Like those, man, you, you walk by a house that has a ring doorbell on it. You can see that little blue light from like half a mile away. So a lot of people will see like, oh man, they got a ring doorbell, I'm not going there, that sort of thing. Um, so you can have them to where they're seen, or you can have some that are very close up. Um, so it just kind of depends on what you wanna do and what your budget is. Um, when you have the DIY cameras like Ring, like Blink, like Nest, things like that, um, they offer a lot of great benefits because you can do it yourself. But then there are also the, the old schooled wire systems that you would actually call somebody and they would put multiple cameras up and you'd have a DVR uh, that you could sit and they're continuously recording that sort of thing. Those are really the best. Those hardwire ones with the DVRs really are the best because they're going to go all the time. But like the ring and the blink, if you have multiple cameras, they are, you can't watch both of them at the same time, that sort of thing. And sometimes one will take priority over the other and it'll um, have a clip and it'll send it in and the other clip won't ever come in because it's the system's too busy and that clip gets dumped. So there's a lot to, a lot to surveillance for your home. Um, and another thing that I really, I really stress with people and I feel strongly about this one is limit how many cameras that you have in your house and I would say that you don't have any of them inside of your house. A few years ago, um, Nest, yeah, got in trouble because um, people thought that Nest cameras were getting hacked easy. Well, Nest is a Google product. And so what was happening is people didn't have very strong passwords for their Google accounts. So uh, when hackers got into their Gmail, they start poking around and saying, hey, what other Google services do they have? Oh, hey, look, they've got, 
you know, home surveillance with Google. Well, let's turn on their cameras and look at them and see what they're doing. And so it wasn't necessarily an exploit inside of the cameras. It was just, you know, the homeowners not having strong passwords to keep out the bad guys. And what was happening was uh, sensitive footage was being taken of people inside. There's actually this really bad video out of uh, Tennessee around Christmas time where uh, the, there's a camera up in a little girl's room and this voice comes in and says, hey, little girl, how are you? And she starts you know, freaking out because this camera is talking to her. It's not her mom's voice. It's not her dad's voice. And she's like, who are you? And it's like, oh, it's Santa Claus. And you know, that sort of thing doesn't happen if you don't have a camera in your child's room. And I know as parents, like, you didn't want to have to get up in the middle of the night to go check on the kid if there was a funny noise. And so you might have put like one of the little baby monitor things in there. I suggest that you really, really minimize the cameras that you have in your house because there's a lot of footage in your home that you don't want other people to see. Even if it's just you walking around in your pajamas, that sort of thing. You know, that's not footage that everybody else should have access to. And that's not footage that you really want recorded of yourself. So I really caution people, put them outside. If you do have to have one inside, make sure it's very limited in what it can see and when it's on. And uh, just try to protect your family's privacy there too. Great. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, all really good things to think about. And I think uh, our listeners will, you know, even if they can put one or two of those things into practice, I think it'll help, oh, yeah, for sure. help with their home. Yeah. Anything else with the home? that you, you have found and uh, that you really recommend? Have a good relationship with your neighbors. That's mm -hmm. a big one. Um, that, was, that was something that really helped me out. Uh, I went on vacation not long ago. And one of the things that I tell people to do when they go on vacation is to make sure that you get your mail held and that any packages that you're gonna have that are delivered either goes to like a UPS store or you have a neighbor come by and pick it up, that sort of thing. Well, we left... Uh, for a week-long trip, then I check my home surveillance camera, and sure enough, there's a package sitting on the front porch that arrived just after we left on day one, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, you know, <laughs> here I've done all of these things to make sure, and it was something that my wife had ordered like a month earlier and didn't have any tracking on, and it just randomly showed up, so I call a neighbor, you know, even though I'm like hundreds of miles away, I call a neighbor and I'm like, hey, man, can you go pick up this package for me? He's like, yeah, man, no problem. I was like, hey, by the way, we're gone for the next week. Do you mind looking out for the house while we're gone? Yeah, sure. No problem. That sort of thing. Because when they go on vacation, I look after their house. When I go on vacation, they look out for hours. And knowing that you have somebody who is looking out for your home, who has that vested interest in your neighborhood, really goes a long way to making sure that everybody's home is safe. Yeah, another great suggestion. And if you can have one, have two or three everywhere yes. around your house. Yes. You know, if you have good mm -hmm. neighbors and, you know, good relationships with them, it's just going to help that community stay safe and especially your home itself. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next area we're going to talk about is in public at the right. mall, at the movie theater, taking your family out. You're going out to a restaurant. We all love to take our families out and go do things. And we know that you know, things appear to be getting crazier and crazier as far as what yeah. you see people doing. Right. right. So we talked about situal, situational awareness. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that when we're in public and we're the dad or we're the parent that's sitting there mm -hmm. 
and trying to have a nice time, but you also want to kind of keep an eye out uh, for what you need to keep an eye out. So how, how do we do that? Sure. And that it's a delicate, it's a delicate dance, Dana. It really is. Um, when you first start to understand situational awareness, you, it's like this great new hammer that you bought. And so when you buy this new hammer, of course, you want everything to be a nail. So you want to hit it with that hammer. So when you're first learning this, you really got to like calm yourself down. There's not going to be that um, psychopath arsonist in every you know restaurant you go to with, you know, with your family. The chances of you actually being involved in some sort of um, threatening situation in public is low. Like you said, it does seem like... Um, it's getting worse. And I don't know if it's getting worse because uh, well, crime is going up, but also because everybody's got a phone everywhere now. So we're seeing all these videos of that sort of thing. So it's, it's a little give and take there. So when you're in public, you want to make sure that you, when you, let's, we'll just take a restaurant. I'm one of those people that I get this weird feeling on the back of my neck when I sit with my back to the door. You know, a lot of people feel that same way. I guess like a spidey sense or something. And so I was one of these, but I couldn't ever do it, that sort of thing. And what I've come to understand uh, through some learning is while it's good to kind of keep an eye on the front door, because, you know, if it's uh, one of these places where you go up front, you pay up front and that's where your order is taken, you think, oh, somebody could, you know, run inside, you know, rob the cash register, that sort of thing. Or, you know, worse, if there's somebody who's going to come in and have some sort of like mass violent attack, they'll come in through that, you know, front door and I need to see it coming, that sort of thing. And that's true. You do need to be looking for um, danger. But also, don't turn your back on the guy who's had one too many across the room and is starting to pick a fight with the table next to him, that sort of thing. So really understand when you're at a restaurant, yep, the front area is where something could go wrong. There could be a fire in the kitchen, that sort of thing. And then you just kind of take a look around at the people who are around you and you see who's acting different from everybody else. Just because somebody's acting different doesn't mean that they're a threat. It just means that you need to pay them a little bit more attention, that sort of thing. Um, so when you're when you're out in public, you're, you're looking for those things, but you're also still trying to be a dad. You're still trying to be a husband. So I have what I call secure habits, and that is to get involved in a conversation, listen to someone, and then maybe as they're giving their response, just take a quick you know glance around the room. I'm going to hit that front door. I'm going to look back at the kitchen. I'm going to look at the other guy over there who I think's had one too many. All right, these guys are good. Anything else that's new? Okay, right back to the conversation. So this is when you have you're using a lot of brain power and you're trying to communicate uh, with your family that hey, I'm still here, I'm present, but I'm also watching out for you at the same time. So it's something that you just you have to practice and learn and get better at. Uh, at first, you're not going to be really good at it, but as you go and as the as the the trips go by, the experience builds up. It will get better as you go on. How do you teach kids to be like that, or at least to have some semblance of that when they're because you gave that unfortunate experience, and obviously it just happened recently mm -hmm. with Uvalde, yeah. of you know a public place that should be safe and kids we we really don't even want them to go to to go to those places thinking something like that's going right. to happen because right. of the negative impact it would have on their experience there but also we want them to be you know any any skills that they develop as far as 
identifying that something is not right and steps to take. Now, you know, teachers will be there to help and try and get them out of harm's way. But is it, can we teach our kids some of this without, you know, making them overly uh, scared? Yeah, absolutely. We can. There is no like across the board. Oh, at this age, you do this at this age, you do that. You are the parent, you know, your child better than anybody else. So you talk to them at the level that they are ready to receive. That's the biggest thing. Because if you go in and you tell your toddler, you know, what a psychopath is, well, that's not going to go well for you, that sort of thing. But one of the things that I like to do, especially when my son was young, we would go into a restaurant and we would play a game called Count the Doors. And so he was learning how to count. And he would just, you know, point his little chubby finger around and he'd he'd count all the doors out loud and people would look at him and be like, oh, look at him, he's pointing, that sort of thing. But what I was teaching him was, these are the ways to get out if something goes wrong. And it was just simply a game of count the doors. And so we played it so much that my son really enjoyed it. Like one time we went to sit down somewhere and he's like, hey, we're not playing our game. I was like, oh, sure, let's go and play the game. And then one time he was like, hey, there are eight doors in this restaurant. I was like, well, I didn't even ask you. He was like, I counted already when we were waiting. And I'm like, there we go. So that's actually, I have a uh, online course called Unlocked Releasing Your Inner Protector Parent. And that's one of the games that I teach parents that they can share with their kids. Uh, There's another one, it's kind of, uh, it's called Restaurant Bingo. And what you do is when you sit down, you're waiting for your food, because gosh, you know, sometimes kids are hangry and they need to be you know, like distracted from the fact that they're so hungry. So it's a little bingo card that you print out and you can use change or whatever it is to cover it up. But it's like, find a person in a blue shirt. Where's the fire extinguisher? Where's the front door? Um, is there somebody here who has jeans on? That sort of thing. Just trying to get them to look beyond what's happening in their immediate circle, that sort of thing. So if you can teach kids Hey, mental mapping, which is what I just was, was talking about. And it's that mental map that you have of every place that you go into your office, your church, your favorite restaurant, uh, the gas station, that sort of thing. You know where the front door is, the back door is, that sort of thing. So that when something bad does happen, you don't have to look around and see where you are. You will just instinctively know I am closest to this emergency exit. I'm going to hit the crash bar. The noise is going to go off and I'm going to go out. And that's how it's going to go. So we can teach our kids that from an early age. Absolutely. We can also start to teach um, kids what sort of like behavior patterns to look for in potential classmates that could be a problem. There have been in my county, gosh, this past school year, more incidents of school lockdowns and violent threats being taken seriously than I'm really comfortable with. And I live in a nice place and we have a very nice school district. And the reason that those threats were stopped early was because the students saw something and they said something. And that is powerful when it comes to keeping our kids safe, is teaching them it's okay to talk about something that you see with someone else that you think could be bad. Tell them to embrace that intuition. That, that little voice inside them that wants to keep them safe that says, this is a bad idea, or I don't feel good about this person. Tell your kids to embrace that inner voice because it's going to keep them safe today and every day for the rest of their life. Uh, I can't, I can't stress that enough. That's so, that's so great and so powerful. And you're right. At any age, we can, we can start making them aware of their surroundings mm-hmm. and aware of, right. uh, you know, what they're seeing around them and just that, 
by itself should help them to respond when something happens. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to talk about one other area and it's something that um, parents deal with. Right. And that's online. Right. Obviously being online is, is a a huge part of all of our days. Yeah. Whether, whether we're at work online, you know, you're getting some downtime online. We're watching, you know, all of our TV and content online. And obviously there's so many good things that come with that, but there's also some dangers. And as parents, you know, sometimes we get trapped with just thinking about how much is too much. And we don't necessarily talk about how to keep them safe. So how do we keep our kids safe when they're online? How do we help them to be able to protect themselves and also do are there safeguards that we can use as parents to keep them safe because they may not know sure you know um dana you and i have the we're living in this awesome time where you and i are older than the internet you know we we didn't have this in our childhood and i'm so glad that we didn't um but like when i don't know what it was like in your house but in my house was when I went to school, I was expected to act a certain way because I had been raised uh, to a certain standard. Uh, when I went out with my friends, I still needed to act to that you know, standard. Didn't always happen, but I knew how I needed to act and I knew I, how I needed to present myself and who I needed to be. And we need to teach our kids that same rule for being online. You are online the same person that you are when you are in your school, when you're in class. So there's a lot of like cyberbullying that goes on and all sorts of like exploitation that's done from minor to minor. And you need to help kids understand that the internet doesn't hide who they are. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, it makes it easier to be traced to you because Mm. there are text messages that exist. There's videos that exist. There's IP addresses, there's Mac addresses. There's all of these things can be done. It's actually, I feel harder today to get by with some types of crimes online than it is in person, just simply because there's so much data out there that can be used um, by law enforcement to, um, to thankfully prosecute you know, people who've done bad things. So the first thing we need to tell our kids is be who you are online, just as you are in person. And that will go a long way. Another thing, uh, we all, there's, it's like every other week, there's a story about, oh, the, a, a child was exploited through Roblox or through Minecraft or through Fortnite. The, the, how the exploitation or what platform the exploitation occurred really doesn't matter. I had um, Chris Hadnagy on the show. He is a guy who's uh, famous for social engineering, but he has an amazing group called the Innocent Lives Foundation, where he uses his hacking skills uh, to get people to go out and work in tandem with law enforcement to uh, bring online predators to justice. And he told me on my show, he's like, Andy, everywhere kids are, the predators are already there. And he told me the story of there was this uh, online homework help that um, teachers were doing during COVID because they were just trying to help kids stay up on what was happening. And there was a guy in that group who was a predator and gained the trust of several students and exploited them. So if you think, oh, um, I'm not going to let my kid play, you know, Minecraft because they might, you know, meet an online predator. It's everywhere. 
So the thing that you need to do is to teach your kid to look for signs that things are not right. One of the things we can do, like we talked about earlier, is embracing that inner voice, that intuition that says, you know, hey, something is wrong. So one of the red flags that you can teach your kids to look for is somebody who wants pictures of them, somebody who wants to um, know what kind of clothes they're wearing, and somebody who wants to take the conversation from the platform that they're on somewhere else. So like they're playing Fortnite or something like that, and they're using the chat through the game. Okay, that's, that's fine. That can still be bad. But when they say, hey, let's go take this to Discord, or let's go take this somewhere else, um, you know, do your parents monitor this sort of thing? Those are the red flags you need to be working on, uh, telling your kids about, because that means they want to take you, just like in a kidnapping, you don't go from point A to point B with somebody because your chances of getting out of that situation are worse. Same thing online. If you go from point A to point B with somebody online, things are only going to get more complicated for you. So teach your kids to stay in the platform that they're in and the the sheer level of exploitation that is happening now to our kids is, it is disgusting and it is frightening, but I'm also going to say it's been happening for a long time. These people have existed before the internet and what is happening while as bad as it is, has been happening all along. Just because it happens online doesn't mean that humanity is somehow changed. It's the same thing that's been there. And if you can teach your kids to have self-confidence and to trust that intuition, show them what the red flags are, they're going to be okay. And you also need to build trust with them. So like, let's say something bad did happen on Fortnite. Don't ban your kid from playing Fortnite again. Embrace the relationship that you have so that they can come to you and say, hey, I was playing this game and this guy said this or did this or, or wanted to take this chat to discord or wanted to know what my, you know, what my phone number was. So he could text me, you know, ask me if I was on, you know, signal or something like that. You know, when they come to you and they tell you that that's good, that should be praised. And then you, you both learn together what to do next and how this is going to be handled for the next time, but praise that honesty and work with them. So if they're honest with you, they know that you're not going to, punish them for that uh, again just fantastic uh, suggestions and and ideas and no that's a great that's a great point it's it's really about building giving them the tools to be able to say hey that's not okay you know it's right. it's like right when i was growing up or or my kids were really young right and the internet social media wasn't like it was we were always just taught to make sure they understand what kind of behavior, even from people that they know is not mm -hmm. going to be acceptable. Yes. Yes. And so it's the same thing when they're online, it, that behavior is going to be the same. It's going to come across in a different medium, but it's still going to still shouldn't, uh, we'll probably not pass the smell test and they'll be able to say, Oh, wait a minute. That's a little weird. Nobody else asked right. me to do that. And you know what, Dana, I don't know if you take uh, suggestions for future guests or not, but I had a gentleman by the name of Randy King on my show, and he came and he talked about the boundaries, about how important boundaries are in self-defense. And Randy is a wonderful guy, and he changed how I look at safety and self-defense once I understood what he was teaching about boundaries. And not to, not to take any of his, his content away from him. 
he was basically saying when you have strong boundaries and your kids have strong boundaries, it's harder for them to be exploited. And so that goes along with self-confidence. So I highly recommend that you bring Randy King on the show. He's a lot more fun to talk to than I am. So um, yeah, boundaries are so important when it comes to, to raising kids. Yeah, research has shown that boundaries, it allows them and helps them to stay safe. And they feel safe when they know you know, what those boundaries are, they feel safe, they feel secure. And, you know, like, no, no doubt, his point was that, you know, they'll, they'll know when something exists outside of those boundaries, and that right. that's not right. All right, well, this has been a great conversation, Andy, anything else for my listeners, any other tidbits, you can give them any other thing that you'd, or is there something that you'd like them to leave this conversation? If they remember one thing, if you remember one thing is that you have the power to protect yourself and your family. You absolutely have that. Don't outsource that to somebody else. Don't outsource that to a public servant. Don't outsource it to the military. It's up to you to make sure that your family is safe day in, day out. First responders will be there when you need them, but every day it's on you and you can do it. Awesome. Well, again, this is Andy Murphy. He founded the Secure Dad in 2016. That's going strong. He has a Secure Dad podcast. We can visit uh, and look at his website, thesecuredad.com. Thank you very much, Andy. This has been uh, really good tips, good uh, things that we can all put into practice. And even if, even if any of my listeners just take one thing that they can put into practice to help secure their home, secure themselves when they're out in public with their family or secure or make it more secure for their kids when they're online, then we would have done some good here today, Andy. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you, Danny. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us on our journey to learn about various topics. If you'd like to get in touch with the dad who knows nothing, connect with him at the dad who knows nothing on TikTok and Instagram or dad knows zero on Twitter. If you have a moment and you like this episode, drop us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great day and enjoy your journey through this game called life.